This is the big pond. I'm Wendy Gillette, listening to a few traditional tunes. on the East River in Manhattan. It's a gorgeous sunny fall day, the ones that feel like summer will never end. But here it's all about October, or Oktoberfest, I should say. Every fall, New York goes gaga for Germany. Fashion Week gives way to dirndls and lederhosen, roomy enough to allow for all those giant pretzels and beer steins. There are Oktoberfest celebrations in all of the city's five boroughs, in beer gardens, parks, on boats, and under tents, like this one, where about a quarter of the crowd dons some sort of traditional dress. Some more traditional than others, there's John Carlo Perez. Describe what's around your neck. I have an inflatable pretzel uh, with some salt particles painted on it. It's, it's, it's fun. Why are you wearing it? Because it's German. It's German tradition, you know? Liam Kane follows that same trend. My friend told me to come to German Fest, and if I don't own a personal pair of Lederhosen, to at least go online and find a t-shirt that's got the fake Lederhosen. And I was like, all right, I'll do it. It's his first Oktoberfest in New York, but likely not his last, since his list of what he's enjoying is long. Even though I'm not German, it's kind of like St. Patrick's Day, where everyone's German. The Wiener Schnitzel, the Bratwurst, the beers. The women look great, and, like, the music is hilarious. I mean, they go from like German polka to like mariachi songs. It's, I don't know, it's fun. One of those great looking women, Sandra Tobar, who just arrived home from Germany. I just came back from the Black Forest, so I figured I'd join New York City with their Oktoberfest, basically to see the difference between the German Oktoberfest and the New York City Oktoberfest. Tell me what the difference is between there and here. Uh, it's this basically to the 10th power. It's, there's so many people running around dressed exactly like me. She's wearing a dirndl, that traditional dress, but again, not so traditional. A traditional one is a little bit longer than this, but for Oktoberfest, they wear a little bit shorter. So it's a little bit higher in the skirt and a little bit lower in the cleavage. Yes, so the lady who uh, sold it to me, she got me a very conservative blouse. And uh, it's buttoned down and crochet, but I kind of wanted to flash a little bit of the girls, and I got the one that was a little bit lower. Shows a lot of cleavage. Um, it's just a fun thing. Maybe uh, it just gets all the men crazy with beer. They start the men young here. John Gladys brought his son. Jack's wearing authentic lederhosen from Germany and a blue polo Afloren shirt, so he got his American and German coming together. I should mention Jack, just turned one, and he's adorable. It's just the kind of crowd the founder of the festival, German native Sylvester Schneider, wanted to attract. There's a word called Gemütlichkeit. It's uh, the closest translation is coziness. So it's really a get together of people from zero to 100 years. And uh, that's really uh, a thing that's becoming more and more difficult in our society. Everything gets so segregated and rules, so many rules and stuff. And uh, the Bavarian culture really still like, brings together all generations and puts them into one situation that everybody's happy. Schneider also provides plenty of happiness for himself. He greets me with a stein in his hand and a smile on his face. How many beers you've had so far? About 15. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, during the course of the last three days, for sure. But his true joy lies elsewhere. What brought you to the U.S.? Uh, music. I'm a musician. I wanted to become a rock star, and um, 
wanted to study music. I was at Berklee College of Music for a while, and um, then I had kids. I had to do something different than just playing music. So I started a bar, a restaurant, and um, I combined it with the music, so play the music at my own bar. The bar is Zum Schneider, where all the staff speak fluent German and English. The band is Mosul Franzi and the Ya Ya Ya's. In my late teens, I was in a jazz band, I was in an Afro, Afrobeat band, I was in a, in, a, in a rock band. We played like uh, a cover band with uh, Frank Zappa songs. What kind of music do you play now? Um, it's a, it's like punk rock polka. What's that? <laughs> You'll hear in a minute. There's a lot of fanfare before Schneider actually takes the stage as lead singer and drummer. I can't hear you. At long last, after many a clanging stein, the set starts. Everybody go. has grown from just inside the bar to 8,000 people attending over eight days. It's certainly not how Schneider pictured his life growing up in Germany. He was eager to escape its traditions. I ran away from Germany because of all of that and then I recreated it in the U.S. <laughs> um, now, uh, I've the whole reason was really homesickness. I, uh, I was missing the beer gardens and the beer. Back then, beer gardens were few and far between in New York. Now there are dozens, from Harlem to Midtown Manhattan to inside City Field, where the Mets play, to Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Brass bands stroll through the crowd every Saturday at Radagast Hall and Beer Garden. A retractable roof peels back to expose long wooden tables and a grill stand pumping out dripping sausages to the light. Ivan Kohut opened the bar in 2007. I never actually uh, was able to actually go to a bar that I really liked. Uh, my standards were high. He created a rollicking party where leader beers are the norm and the promise of a stranger awaits right at your table, according to the bar's general manager, Mystic De Silva. The time that it opened up, there was nothing else like it. Big, long farm tables, loud music, big beers in big steins. I think it's tradition, but I also think it's great to have these big, long communal tables where it brings people together and makes people who don't know each other talk to each other. I get emails from people saying, I met my my boyfriend there one drunk Saturday or me and my boyfriend met outside or in the beer hall or came to see live music so we definitely are a good hookup place. How many beers do you sell on a typical Saturday? On a typical Saturday I would say it would be in the thousands. Why do people like to have the leaders? 
I think people like to be seen with a really big beer. I think it makes them think they look cool. And I also think with having a liter of beer, it saves you from having to go to the bar every 20 minutes. There are no American beers here, only European. Kohut says customers appreciate that. They love to travel. They're people of the of the earth rather than just late in the United States, kind of, you know, we are here, we are the best. The bar follows in the footsteps of breweries that once dominated Brooklyn. Historians say more than 100 were making beer in 1880, mostly in Bushwick and Williamsburg. German immigrants led the way in the 1830s, bringing their tradition of lagers and changing the way beer was made in the U.S. Kohut says making beer was on his mind in 2007. But unfortunately, during these times, it was, it was just too difficult. A few short years later, the landscape for breweries in New York City shifted. Joshua Stileman is a co-founder and CEO of Threes Brewing in Gowanus, Brooklyn, which opened in 2014. What's the craft beer scene like in New York City? It's flourishing, I guess, to start. Um, so there are a lot of breweries in New York, and you couldn't make that claim just five years ago. It's difficult for him to even estimate how many there are. Offhand, I don't know. And if I said the number, it would go up quickly the moment after I said it. I'll, I'll say dozens at this point. Why do you think so many breweries started right around the same time? Uh, because there were no breweries in New York City, which I, th I think we saw firsthand why when we started doing construction. Um, construction in New York is terrible. <laughs> Stileman is referring to the sometimes overwhelming traffic, difficulty parking, getting permits for manufacturing, the logistics of deliveries. It's really hard to do what we do here in New York, but it also has its advantages. So, for example, um, you know, we have the benefit of urban density. So we open our bar on a Saturday and we get a lot of people coming through here. That's unusual if we were a brewery doing this outside of New York City. And lots of places around the country for that matter. New York City can be a cutthroat, competitive place. So you would think that might extend to the industry. But Stileman says the opposite is true. We're all kind of between one and six years old at this point, or the lion's share. So we've got this really great cohort group that uh, all shares knowledge, recipes, ingredients, um, you know, sometimes talent. So, you know, there's, there's unlike a lot of industries I've seen where there's fierce competition. I mean, we all, we all compete with each other and we compete for tap lines and bars. We compete for mind share, you know, hearts and minds of our customers. There's this real sense of camaraderie. And I think in this world, the sense is that there's kind of the rising tides thing, that we're all kind of in this together. And we're all really genuinely pulling for each other out of, out of friendship, first and foremost. And the demand for well-crafted beer doesn't seem to be slowing. For many years in the United States, I think people all thought beer tastes the same. I think in some respects, the beer thing is, is just an extension of the food movement. So there are really fine dining restaurants, for example, that a few years ago didn't care about their beer lists are now starting to call us and say, hey, we, we no longer you know, want to carry some generic you know, beer that our customers you know, aren't asking for. They're, they want something. There's this insatiable appetite for local. There's this insatiable appetite for craft. Threes Brewing is one of the best, winning awards, including the top beer brewed in New York State in both 2017 and 18, beating out hundreds of entries in blind taste tests. Most of our beers, if you're if you're really into beer and you want to stick your nose in it and be one of those people and try to find notes and different flavors, you can do that. There's some nuance. If you just want to crush beer with your friends at the beach or a bar, 
Our beers are really good for that too. They're pretty accessible. Customer Andy Mills is in the latter group. A lot of the beer that they have is is made to just like drink. It's not made to like sip on and, you know, pontificate about. The brand certainly does not take itself seriously, most markedly in its descriptions of how each of the beers tastes. Co-founder Justin Israelson. We were kind of just like riffing off of like the wine world in a way, like they're very specific in the way that they describe their wines. We thought it'd be fun to do the same with beer. We try to describe the beer in about four or five words, and sometimes they say things like Mountain Dew or burnt Oreos, and invariably customers look at the menu and say, you made this with Mountain Dew? I don't want to drink Mountain Dew. And of course we don't. It's just, we're trying to, we're trying to describe flavors that you might be familiar with to describe the beer. And oftentimes we'll have fun with it. We did, we used uh, Florida Man in, in one. Florida Man. You heard me. Florida Man? It was a goof. So we, we try to we try to have a little bit of fun with this. And what does Florida man smell like? Uh, I'd rather not comment on that. But it's not all fun and games. The challenges of brewing in New York City remain. The biggest complication about making beer in New York City is space. Uh, we don't have enough of it. We're particularly for a brewery like ours that is making a lot of beer, um, but has demand that is outweighing our supply. We simply can't make enough beer, and that's that's a big challenge. Stylman gave me a tour of the brewery where a skylight was required to make room for the equipment. If you've ever been to a proper production brewery, this is kind of, uh, this is not how you're supposed to do this. This is like the New York City studio apartment version of a brewery. We're kind of like a cruise ship. There is a, there is a designated spot for every single thing we have here in the brewery. But the buzz of his new life far outweighs the lows, what he calls a midlife crisis project, trading in the tech world for taps. Customers like Mills say there's only one issue. As a person who lives in the neighborhood, like the biggest problem that I have with it is that too many people know about it. And they come here with their good looking dates and they crowd the place up. And uh, I would like to, to have it a little bit more to myself. That kind of popularity is a dilemma any business would love to have. In New York, I'm Wendy Gillette. Wunderbar Together. You've been listening to The Big Pod, a series of dialogues between Germans and Americans, coming to you from PRX and the Goethe Institute.